You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. In the winter of 2008, Adira and I were living in Israel, living in Jerusalem. It was the first year of our marriage. It was my third year of rabbinical school. And if you remember, if you remember back then, it was the time of immense rocket fire from Gaza into Israeli civilian populated areas. And so the Israeli army led an offensive or a defensive, depending on how you look at it, against uh, Hamas in Gaza to try to rid them of the capability of firing rockets into Israel. In 2012, I was in my second year uh, out of rabbinical school. I was living in uh, as diaspora, I guess, as you can get, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And in the year 2012, Hamas militants were firing rockets into Israeli civilian populated areas. And so the IDF launched an operation to try to rid Hamas of the capability of firing rockets into Israel. If this is beginning to sound familiar, it's because it's exactly what we're living through right now in 2014, as Hamas militants are firing rockets heavily into Israeli civilian populated areas, and the Israel Defense Forces has launched an operation, the State of Israel has launched an operation to try to cripple the ability of Hamas in Gaza from firing rockets into Israel. It may be true what the old adage says, that history is not history, it's not even past. And what Kohelet says, Ein Hadash Tachat Hashemesh, that there's nothing new under the sun. Unfortunately, we know this reality all too well. And for many of us, it's not just the fact that we've lived through several cycles of exactly the same scenario that we're living through right now with Hamas rockets firing into Israel and the state of Israel needing to launch an operation putting Israeli soldiers' lives at risk in order to defend the citizens of the state of Israel. It's not just that we've seen it now over and over again for the past decade, but we've seen now nearly a century of war with groups bent on the destruction of the state of Israel, even before there was a state of Israel. And when we see videos and images of people in the state of Israel cowering in bomb shelters and leaving their cars and 
covering their heads on the side of the road when they have a few moments after an air raid siren goes off. We aren't only thinking about the tragedy and the pain and the anguish and the terror in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Israel right now. When we see images like that, I imagine many of us don't only see what's going on there, but we see the Israelis in 1967 and what it felt and what it looked like to have the nations of the Arab states surrounding Israel on all sides with tanks lined at the border preparing to wipe Israel off the map. We see that. And we see the onslaught of the Arab states in 1948 when Israel declared its independence moving in to try to stop the state of Israel from emerging and taking place. And we see Jews in the camps cowering before the SS officers and guards, and we see the Jews in Germany on Kristallnacht scared for their lives at the sound of smashing glass. We don't only see what's happening right now, but we have a powerful historical memory, and within that memory, centuries and millennia of persecution, and embedded in each of those terrifying images and terrifying moments, we see each of those moments past, and even though the situation today is not directly analogous to even the situation two years ago in our war with Gaza, and certainly not analogous in many ways to the Holocaust or any other moment of Jewish persecution and terror that you might imagine, even though there's not direct analogies on an emotional level, I imagine that's how many of us feel when we see those pictures. And because of that, and because of the seeming repetition of Jewish history in those painful ways, it's easy, I think, to feel somewhat powerless. To feel like, what is it that we can do to protect Jewish life? What is it that we can do to make the state of Israel secure? What is it that we can do to support those people who are under fire in Israel, what is it that we can do to ensure a just and lasting peace with our neighbors? And many of us, I imagine, feel powerless when we think of that question. And so, what I've seen in this war, and I don't know if you follow the same things that I've seen, but I've seen a lot of ranting in social media. A lot of venting, a lot of anger, a lot of vitriol, a lot of commenting. And so I want to suggest today that there are many things we can do to help Israel, and I'm going to offer what some of those are, but venting on social media is not one of them. Because the people who agree with you will continue agreeing with you, and the people who don't agree with you will continue not agreeing with you. And I guarantee that the leaders of the United States and Great Britain and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and the Prime Minister of Israel are not reading your Facebook feed. They are also, I think, not really paying attention to or caring what the reports are in the media. So that's the second thing I want to say that is not helpful is directing anger and directing energy 
uh, enmity, directing frustration at the networks, at CNN, at Fox. They may be getting it totally wrong. But to tell you the truth, I understand why they're getting it the way they're getting it. Because the headline, 900 civilians dead in Gaza, is a grabbier headline than five Israeli soldiers killed in Gaza. And if I were the editor and owner of a newspaper, I can probably guess which headline I would go with because ultimately I need to sell papers. So unless your plan is to buy all of the newspapers and media outlets in this country and around the world, my guess is you're going to have very little impact on what is said and what's reported in the media. And so venting frustration about what CNN talks about on Facebook and on Twitter is really going to accomplish very little to change how CNN is reporting the war and how people feel about the war, and it's going to do very little, ultimately, to have any impact on the people who need it most. So then, if we can't, or we shouldn't, vent on social media, we can't really control what's reported in the media, what should we do? And I want to suggest a handful of things. The first is that there are ways that we can send direct and tangible support to people in Israel. One way is by calling and emailing our family and our friends who are there, and many of us have family and friends who are there, and just checking in on them, making sure that we know that they're there, that we know that it's scary for their families to have to run to bomb shelters every half hour, that they know we care. We can send care packages to soldiers in the IDF who now in larger numbers are being called up away from their families. Some soldiers who are there as lone soldiers and have no family in Israel. And they can know that we care about them and are thinking of them in a direct and tangible way. We can and should give to our Federation's emergency aid fund to Israel that has just launched in the past couple of days where we can give whatever we're able to give and capable of giving, and that money will go directly to support those who are most impacted and affected by Hamas rocket fire, and will aid ultimately in the rebuilding of the state inevitably after the war is over. And this sometimes gets lost in the echo chamber of the media that tends to sensationalize uh, in order, I think, to, uh, to, to sell papers and to sell commercial time. But in the echo chamber, it gets lost, and this is an important fact. We live in an incredible era of Jewish history. This era of Jewish history is radically unlike other eras of Jewish history, in that, first of all, we do have a sovereign state that has the ability to defend itself. And so, thank God. And so we are not in the same situation as, God forbid, our relatives were 60, 70 years ago. But we also have the strong support and backing of the most powerful and influential countries in the world, including this one. And you might 
quibble from time to time with, 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 with certain language or certain tweaks that that support has. They might, leaders of this country in the executive branch or the legislative branch might argue for this policy or that policy, but the truth is there has never been stronger support for the state of Israel among the government of the United States of America, broad bipartisan support, as there is right now. So if you want to do something for our brothers and sisters in Israel, there are two things that I think are really important that I think we should do. The first is let our leaders know that we are proud of them for continuing to stand with and support the state of Israel, which almost unilaterally, almost entirely, our leaders do. And so it's important to know that we know that. It's important to know that we care about that. It's important to let them know that we will vote with our feet if that changes. And so we can let them know that. And part of the reason for the bedrock support of the United States of America are our advocacy groups for Israel like APAC. So this is a moment in which supporting APAC is directly related to supporting our brothers and sisters in Israel. Because by supporting APAC, you enable broad bipartisan support for Israel and makes sure that our leaders remain on the ball when it comes to being on the side of the state of Israel. Aside from all of those things, and by the way, I hesitate to mention, I, sorry, I, I meant to mention that we can show our support physically. And one way of doing that is by going to the rally our community is holding on Monday afternoon at 6 o'clock at the JCC, where we'll be, we will be gathering at the JCC to show our bedrock support in our community for the state of Israel. And I encourage everybody in this room to attend and to let people in your lives who care about the state of Israel to attend as well. There are things we can do besides venting our frustration on social media. But here, I think, I want to give one maybe unusual, but I think profoundly important, perhaps the most important thing that we can do for the state of Israel. Pray. Pray. And I would actually phrase it in a slightly different way, which is, never lose hope. We are a tradition that is founded on hope. We just chanted the blessing for the new month of Av, which contains within it the day of Tisha B'Av, which commemorates the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem. And our tradition says that the Mashiach, the Messiah, the promise of redemption of our world is born on the ninth of Av. Because our tradition has always held it as an axiom of faith that the night is darkest just before the dawn, and the dawn is always coming. One of Maimonides, the 13th of Maimonides' principles of faith, perhaps the most important one is I believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah.
even though the Messiah may tarry, nevertheless, I believe with every ounce of my being, every single day, that the Messiah is coming. To be a Jew means to never abandon hope. To never lose the sense that things can and will get better. Because only through hope can we build a positive future. Only through hope can we make sure that after this war ends, we can build a world in which no other wars will be necessary. To lose hope, the absence of hope, is what creates Hamas's. Hamas and organizations like it exist are born out of a lack of hope. And that also, by the way, is something that we can do. An author that many of us have, may have mixed feelings about, Peter Beinart, wrote an article this week that I think is worth everybody reading. Because what he argues is that the essence of what gives Hamas power is a lack of hope among the Palestinian people. And so after this war is over, and inevitably it will end, what Jews can do in the diaspora and in Israel is work to give the Palestinian people hope. To let them see and let them know that a better life is possible. And that if they work side by side with us, we can help them realize it. That the legitimate strivings of Palestinian people for statehood are real, and valuable and honored by the Jewish people around the world, and that they can build a flourishing, democratic, and peaceful state side by side with Israel. We can enable them to have that hope, and with that hope, we crush Hamas. Look at the West Bank. It may not be a bastion of democracy and freedom, but Hamas has very little sway and power in the West Bank. And part of the reason for that is that the people of the West Bank have seen what economic cooperation with Israel, what peace, what hope can bring them. And if we enable the Palestinian people in Gaza to have the same hope, then we can help ensure that we will not be reliving this history again. But hope is the key. Without hope, we fall into despair and we stop believing that a bright future is possible and then we stop working to build it. But Reb Nachman of Bratwa said it most succinctly, Ein shum yeyush olam klal. There is no such thing in Judaism as despair. And that's why, of course, the anthem of the State of Israel is Hatikva, the hope. Because to be a Jew is to never abandon hope, to always believe that a bright future is possible, that justice and compassion are possible, possible, that mercy and peace and justice is possible. And through knowing it's possible, we can work to build it. Oh, <laughs> 
Zion and Jerusalem.